0: Well, good morning. morning. Are we awake this morning? You are? All right, good. Because the 9 o'clock service, it was a little rough. So I need some energy from you guys at 1045. And I love the 9 o'clock service, just so you know. So I'm glad you guys all had breakfast. You're all ready to go. Is it still 5 degrees out there? All right. And you're ready to open God's word and see what he has for you to say, what he has to say for you today. Amen? Amen. Well, if you're a guest, my name's Tim. I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here And uh, we just started a series of messages uh, that we're going to be on for two months last week, so this is just week two, where we're going through the Old Testament book of Joshua. And so uh, last week, if you were here, I was supposed to get through two chapters, chapter one and chapter two. Do you remember that? And we made it all the way up to verse nine of chapter one. (laughs) So we have our work cut out for us today, okay? So I'm going to talk fast, you have to listen fast, right? Well, anyone, will you just give me an extra five minutes this morning? Is that possible? Raise your hand if you'll give me an extra five. So five, ten, (laughs) fifteen, twenty. Keep your hands up! I didn't even make... No, just kidding. What is there really to go home to do, right? The Lions are out of the playoff run. They never were in it to begin with. I mean, you got your whole day to just be here in God's house. No, I'm going to go through the passages uh, pretty rapidly, quicker than I normally do, but I just know that God has something for you today. And it's so interesting as you read scripture, especially scripture written so long ago, and sometimes you can read these accounts and you go, what was going on? And why would God make people go through these steps? And what was it that he was doing in their hearts to prepare them for the future? Which would make us pause and ask the same question. God, what are you doing in our hearts? What is it that's taking place in 2022? God, what do you have for my future? And is my future brighter and better than my past? Or are my best days behind me? And so how easy it is to get caught in that trap. How many people, when you talk to them, right, all of their stories, all of their accounts are all what happened, well, 20 years ago and 30 years ago. And when I was a teenager. And it's like, wait a second, no. God has a plan for you now. And God has a plan for your future. Those of you that were here, wasn't that that, that, that song at the beginning was kind of interesting, wasn't it? I, I don't know if I've ever heard that song before, but it said, we were literally singing, if I'm not dead, then you're not done with me. Anybody pick up on that? Did anybody think, why am I singing this song in church? Because it's true. God has a bright future ahead of you. But let me ask you this. Have you ever in your life had a vision or a dream for God and it was so big and so audacious that you were afraid to share it with somebody else and you knew that if you shared this vision or this dream that you believe God gave you that other people would look down on you or mock you or ask you what it is that you're smoking? (laughs) Anybody ever have that? Now think about it. When was that in your life? Was it when you were a child and you just had this dream and this vision and, and you wanted to start something and you wanted to go after something? Was it when you were a teenager or a young adult or maybe in your adult life? Maybe if I ask it this way, when did we stop dreaming big? And is these last two years, have they so de- like, literally caused us pause in our life that it's been difficult to dream big? To see that there is a bright future for God's people, even if the world around us seems to be falling apart and in chaos and confusion? I want you to think about that. Could God do his greatest work yet in your life and in your family and even in this church on 23 Mile that you can see now in 2022? Do we believe that? Do we want to believe that? And what is it that we can do to get on mission with what God has for us? Now, if you're new to Shepherd's Gate and our sermon series here, we have everything available on our app and on our website that really helps you kind of navigate with us and follow along with us. There's a reading plan on there, so you can see each and every week the chapters we're supposed to cover, as I said. Uh, There's questions that you can ask on on the car ride home to to help even further spur on the conversation about what it is that that God is speaking to you. And if you're at home, you get the couchside questions. Or even dig deeper questions that we've heard from a lot of your life groups, that you're going to begin to do the dig deeper questions so that your group continues to stay in what it is that we're discussing on Sunday morning. But here's what I'm going to tell you this week. This is really important if you don't know the Bible, if you're new to the church and, and those kinds of things, maybe you weren't raised in a Christian home, that really the whole entire Bible, all of Scripture, what, no matter what it is that you read, ultimately points to Jesus. Amen. And it points to the person and work of Jesus. Because here's the thing, God knew that he was going to have to send Jesus before he ever created the world. Before he ever put the first man and woman in the garden, he knew he had a plan of salvation. So when you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the first book to the last, it's a love letter, it's a love story from God to us, showing us of his grace and his mercy in our lives. And we get to see how it's played out in other people, real people, real accounts of people that lived on this earth. And this is what's so interesting is really we have a choice at the end of the day. We can either be obedient to God and follow his plan and he will fulfill his purpose for our lives. Or we can be disobedient, go our own way, go a bunch of back roads and twists and turns. And don't you know that God will eventually get us where he wants us to be? That's how much you're loved. That's how much that God never stops pursuing you and putting people in your lives and putting circumstances in your lives and even sometimes making you do things that you go, why am I doing this? And why am I going through this? Or why is God allowing this to happen in my life? Because all of it is his grand master plan for your individual life. That's how valuable you are to God. Do you realize that? And today you're going to see it in Joshua. And so Joshua if you want to grab one of the chair Bibles that are in front of you for in the front row that are underneath the seat, if you're watching at home, go and grab your Bible, page 178. And if you don't have a Bible, if you're new to Shepherd's Gate, please take a Bible home with you today. We'd love to give that to you as a gift on behalf of our church. But before we get to verse 2, we have to begin where we left off last week. So you might remember we were in Joshua 1:9. This was the key verse for us as well as for our kids' ministry. Where God is literally talking to Joshua and he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Not in your own strength, not in your own might. This is the strength that God gives you. This is why you don't have to be frightened about the future. You don't have to be dismayed about the present. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is in front of you. God is behind you. God is to the left of you and to the right of you. And those of us with faith in our hearts, God lives inside of us. His Holy Spirit lives with us to give us counsel to give us direction to give us hope and to give us peace amen so this is what i was supposed to read to you last week verse 10 so joshua commanded the officers of the people pass through the midst of the camp and command the people prepare your provisions And i want you to think about this get your stuff ready pack your bags you have three days to pack your bags because we are finally going to cross the Jordan River. And we are going to take possession of the promised land. This is, that has been promised to you for over 500 years. You have heard about this from generation after generation after generation, going all the way back to Abraham, and just most recently to Moses, and now as it being passed on to Joshua, as he is literally, in this moment of history, going to fulfill the promise of God. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about if I said, folks, we only have three days. I need you to pack your bags. Because God's got something greater for us here at Shepherd's Gate. What would some of you do? You have too much stuff. <laughs> right? How many of you, when you're packing for a trip, you wait till the last possible second to pack? How many of you, you're sitting next to somebody that drives you crazy because they wait till the last possible second to pack their bags? See how merciful our God is? Three days. He gave them three-day warning, and you are finally going to see this. You're going to see this miracle of God, the promise of God before your eyes. Jump to verse 16. They answered Joshua, at that you have commanded us, all that you have commanded us, I'm sorry, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. That wild. A hundred percent participation. I mean, you mean to tell me Joshua didn't get one email? (laughs) He didn't get one phone call. There wasn't somebody that was on the sidelines going, This is never gonna work. We're never gonna cross the Jordan. Do you realize how deep the Jordan River is? This is crazy. Apparently they didn't bring the engineers with us. We should have built a bridge. We should be building bridges. We, should be doing, we shouldn't be doing anything. Maybe we should go back in the desert and walk around for another 40 years. Who knows? We don't know because it's not recorded. All of them saying, we, are, we will do, we will go, we will obey. God, whatever it is that you're leading us to do. We don't even know how we're going to get across. We just trust you because we can trust you because you're our God and you've led us to this moment and you've been faithful to this moment in our lives. that's what I pray it is for you. I pray that you don't just look back at these last two years, but you look back at your entire life, and you can point to markers in your life where you can see the goodness and the faithfulness of Almighty God. Now here we are, at the brink of the Jordan. You can see the river flowing. You know what's on the other side. You have to trust God in what he says. Joshua chapter 2, before they are going to cross, he actually sends spies. And he says to the spies, I want you and I want you to go and I want you to view the land, especially Jericho. And so he sends these two spies and they go and they come to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and they lodged there. Why would they do that? seems weird, doesn't it? Sometimes when I read scripture and I read it again and I read it again and I read it again and I read, it again, and I read it again and again, I, I just get confused because I'm like, why would they go to the home of a prostitute? Especially when you keep reading, you find out that Jericho is actually the heart of Cana, so that makes sense. He wants them to scope out Cana because he knows that's going to be a huge battle that they're going to have to win. We know that her house served as an inn because of prostitution, so there was constantly people coming in and coming out. But here's the thing. If you're a spy, why would you go there? Wouldn't you try to blend in? Wouldn't you try to go covertly and do this? And yet in the scriptures it actually tells us that the king of Jericho finds out about the spies. These guys aren't very good spies, are they? Word got out that they were there. Honestly, it's probably because they just spent the last 40 years in the desert. They didn't get to go to spy school, (laughs) right? They're like, well, this must be a place. They went to the front desk, rang the doorbell, and said, you know, or the bell, and we'll say we'll have room for two. But it's interesting because this king of Jericho, he finds out about it. He sends word to Rahab to release the men. It's going to get a little bit more bizarre. Rahab, who's from this area, she instead hides the spies in her upstairs room. (laughs) and she puts these materials over them, and then she turns around and she lies to her own people. She says, oh yeah, they were here, but they've already passed through. Lie number one. And then she says, oh, and you can find them, you can chase them because they've already left, and they went that direction, so just start heading in that direction, and I'm sure you'll catch up with them. Why is she lying? Why is she willing to... Go to this length to do these things. See, this is grappling with the scriptures. This is trying to figure out okay, why is this even in the Bible? And where, God, are you again weaving your plan in all of this? Well, it says in verse 8, it says, Before the men lay down for the night, she comes up to them on the roof and she says to them, I know the Lord has given you the land. Imagine that. The faith of this woman to be able to pronounce this, to be able to say this, and yet there's only two spies in the land, and they have all these people, that they still have to cross the Jordan. And yet this woman had the faith to believe that God was going to actually give them the land of her people. And it says, The fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. It says, As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. She makes a bold declaration of faith. Think about that. Just together this morning as we said the words of the Apostles' Creed, we made a bold declaration of faith. She too is making a bold declaration of faith. But read it again. It says that all of their hearts were melted. They were all in fear of knowing that that God could actually do this through the Israelites. Yet she was the one that was willing to turn. She was the one that was willing to humble herself and to realize that maybe there's something greater and something bigger than her. And because of that, because of that, she asked to be saved. She said, Hey, I hid you guys, I lied for you guys. I want you to do this for me. Will you save me? And will you not only save me, will you also save my family? And these two spies, realizing what had been done for them and and the length at which she was instrumental in this whole process, said, sure, when we come into the land, tie this scarlet cord in the window through, through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house, go get all of your family, and if you have this scarlet cord hanging in the window, then we will save you. We will save you. Now, why is this in Scripture? Why don't we just tell the story of them crossing the Jordan and be done with it? And what's so fascinating is it shows you the grace and the mercy of our God. That those that are willing to turn from their wicked ways, those that are willing to turn toward the one true God, He will save. Now, think about it in the day and age that we live in. Think about it when circumstances and hardships and, yes, tragedies come into our communities and come into our lives. One of two things always takes place. People either turn toward God and they realize their need for God and they've lived their life up to this point without God and God produces faith in their heart and in their life. Or people turn away from God and they point to that circumstance or that situation or whatever tragedy took place and they say, see, this is why there is no God. Because a loving God would never allow these things to take place. So let me ask you, year three, it's 2022, what is God speaking to your heart? What is your plan for the future. Remember what I asked you last week. How many of you plan vacations already for 2022? You're like, I got my vacation plan. You got goals, work goals, and objectives planned. What about your spiritual life? What does that look like? Is your goal that in three months, and six months, and nine months, and by the end of the year, you're closer to God than you were any year of your life? Do you want to commit your ways to the Lord? Do you want your marriage to be stronger, not just from going on dates and and reading books and all that stuff is good, but you want it to be stronger because of what God is doing in your marriage? Do you want your family to be stronger? Are there people in your family who don't know Jesus and so you are going to devote even more time and more energy to praying and being intentional with them because this is the year you want to see God do something incredible in their life? See, this is the change that I think we need to sometimes be reminded to make. That we're spiritual beings. At the end of the day, the most important aspect of our lives is our spirit. Isn't that wild? It's not this flesh. But we spend a whole lot of time fixated on our flesh, don't we? Think of all the time. I mean, just think of how much time I spend getting my hair cut, (laughs) right? I look fabulous clothes, shoes, food, vacations. Vacations aren't bad. Our spiritual life, God, draw us to you. Help us understand what it is that you want to do. Let's continue. We're going to jump to chapter 3. It says, Josh rose early in the morning. Man, he had to be so excited. I mean, this is the day And it says, they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel. Everyone's there. Everyone got the memo to pack your bags. And they lodged there before they passed over. So they had everything set. And at the end of the three days, the officers went to the camp and said, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the priest, you shall set out from your place and follow it. See, God told Joshua, you go and you get the priest's. And you tell them to go get the Ark of the Covenant, which they had just carried in the wilderness for 40 years, which represented the presence of God. And they said the priest and the Ark of the Covenant represents God is going to go first. They are going to go before us. It says, Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for the Lord God is going to do wonders among you. And again, he says to the priest, Take up the Ark and pass on before the people And so they did exactly what he said they should do. And when the soles of their feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord of all the earth, when they rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Now wouldn't this have been fun to have been a priest back in this time? Again, try to figure out the mind of God. Why, when the priest got to the edge of the Jordan in this massive flowing river, and oh, by the way, this just happened to be the time of the year when the tide was up and the water was even more intense. Why is it when they dipped their toes in the water, wouldn't God have just parted the water at that point? Why did these guys have to get into the water and get into the middle of the water? God likes playing games. God likes messing with us? Or is it God teaching us and molding us and helping us rely on him and to trust him? It's so incredible because as they do that and as they're obedient to Joshua, they didn't hear the voice of God, Joshua did, but they had to, they had to trust that Joshua was hearing from God. They moved into the middle of the Jordan and as they got to the middle, the water began to, to push back on one side and water pushed back on another And it was completely different than what they had experienced in the past in the parting of the Red Sea when they left Egypt and they began their journey into the desert. And why is that? Why would God do something different? And I believe it's because we have a God that's so creative. He loves to do different types of miracles. He likes to give us the wow factor. Isn't that awesome? Because he did it in the New Testament as well. When he first shows up on the scene, what's his first miracle? He says, bring me some water and watch me turn it into wine. Here, bring me somebody that's crippled and I'm going to touch them and they're going to walk. Bring me somebody that has no sight. In fact, they don't even have eyeballs. I'm going to spit in the ground and I'm going to take dirt and I'm going to make a little mud and I'm going to take and then put the mud in their eyes and I'm going to produce eyeballs and I'm going to let this person see for the very first time. This is the same God who after he fed 5,000 people He took his disciples and he put them in a boat and he shoved them out into the middle of the sea and a storm came while he went up on a mountain to pray. And it wasn't until the the wee hours of the morning when the disciples thought they were going to die that Jesus says, okay, now it's time. I'm going to go and I'm going to walk on the water. Do you see his pattern all throughout scripture? And when you see these things and you read these accounts, you say to yourself, okay, God, where am I in this? What are you doing in my life? Where are you pushing me out of my comfort zone? This isn't a salvation issue. This is a trust issue. You've already saved me, but God, now I don't want to just create a comfortable life here on this earth. God, are you now going to push me out of my comfort zone and into realms I never thought even possible? That's the kind of life I want to live. That's the edge that I want to live on. How about you? Sound exciting? Or do we just want to keep watching the news? and praying things change, and praying our political leaders get along, and we just keep doing the same thing over and over again? Or do you want to be so full of the Holy Spirit in whatever direction that he has and is leading you that you're going to see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle? Doesn't that sound exciting? See, we're at a pretty interesting crossroad here at Shepherd's Gate. We're trying to figure out what's next for our church. And I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago that, uh, you know, I kind of somehow got all the years mixed up because I thought I had been the lead pastor here for three years, and someone said, no, you've been the lead pastor of Shepherd's Gate for five years, and I was like, five years? I still don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, but I don't even know how long I've been blessed enough to be in this position But this last week, I started pouring through some of our documents here at Shepherd's Gate, which is something I often do in January. And so I asked the staff, we have these files of everything that's happened in this church in the last 42 years. And so I'm reading through and and I'm pouring through stuff that I've read through over and over and over again. And this week, all of a sudden, I started seeing things that I had never noticed before. I started putting different Numbers together and, and timelines together. And I was awake and I said, Wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. Why did our church do this on this year if this was the case and then moved into this this year and then moved into this this year and then moved into this this year? And I was so distraught and so confused by it. I, I asked Kelly, my assistant, I said, Can you call Pastor Dale, the founding pastor's wife, and have her come in and meet with me on Friday? Because I'm not going to sleep until I get answers to these questions. So, I, so she came in, and most of you know this story if you've been around Shepherd's Gate. You know that, that Pastor Dale was a pastor of one of the three largest congregations in the United States, and he said, God is stirring something in my heart. I think I'm gonna take six other families and move down the road and start Shepherd's Gate. And I said to Ruth, I said, Ruth, what was going through his mind? More importantly, what was going through your mind? You had four kids at home between the ages of 14 and nine. And she said, yes, I thought he was crazy. <laughs> yes, I was worried. Yes, we weren't sure how we were going to make it, and what if this was actually going to work, and what if it didn't work, then what were we going to do? And we'd have, Would he ever have another church that would call him? And here we are, and we just trusted God. We just put our feet in the water. We began to move forward. Most of you know that part of the story. These were the parts that began to, 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 to circle in my head that I'd never seen before. Because I said to Ruth, I said, here, I'm reading this, and here's the timeline, and here's the numbers. You had 28 people when you started. In 1984, you moved into the first worship center, which is the fellowship hall. And in 1984, you went from 28 to 100. Eight years later, you moved out of that worship space, and you moved into here. I said, in eight years? I said, the paint wasn't even dry on the walls over there. The carpet wasn't even stained yet. Why would you have done that? You were worshiping 300 at the time, and the place sat 200 people. You could have done multiple services. We already were. Dale always did a Monday night service. I said, so what were you thinking? She said, I don't know. We just knew that we needed to keep moving forward. Isn't it interesting, the faith that this church had as they went along the way. Did you know that five years later, he retired? Five years later, the room that you're sitting in right now. And here's the crazy part. The church went into what's called a vacancy for two years. They didn't have a pastor. But during the two years that the church had a vacancy, they said, we don't have to have a pastor to move forward as a congregation. They added on 11,000 square feet of classrooms, which is where our kids hang out to this day. Who does that? That's crazy. Do you realize that? There's no church that does it. You don't ever make big decisions when you don't have a pastor because you don't know what the future is and if people are going to leave and how is giving and I'm sure everyone was like, "This we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do this. My guess is, and I know Donna, you're in here, Bob Heydrich probably had something to do with it. (laughs) He probably had, knowing that guy, he probably had something to do with it. Like, we're going to keep moving forward. The very next year, John Bjorgard became lead pastor and five years later, the church expanded this section. You guys wouldn't even be sitting there. You'd be crammed in with all of them and built the gym in the two youth rooms to the back. Isn't that wild? Always moving forward, always saying, God, what is it that you have next for us? Always never being afraid to tap their toes and their feet and move into whatever future God had for them. And do you know, here we are, 2022, 30 years since this place was dedicated, and here we are at the edge of the river again, saying, okay, God, what's the future? What do you have for this place? God, what do you want us to move into? What is it that you want us to pass down to our kids and to our grandkids? You know what's so cool about this is that when they pass through the water, the water and the ground Everything was dried up. The ground was completely dry. And everybody moved through. Imagine these guys' jobs. Imagine the kind of biceps these guys had to have to just stand there. Come on, people, move. Let's move. Let's get people moving. I want you to see what happens next says when everyone had finished passing over the Jordan the Lord said to Joshua take 12 men from the people from each tribe a man and command them saying take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan so they have to go get it from the Jordan River from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight this is just me this is just the way I read it. you imagine being the priest again Like, seriously, everyone's through. Can we just now move on into the promised land? No, hold on, God just told me, I gotta go find these 12 guys, I gotta make sure every single one of them is from a different tribe, and then they're gonna come back in, grab a stone, and then carry these stones out to the place that we're gonna lodge tonight and make this memorial. God again leading, God again giving them instructions, God again giving them guidance on what they are to do. And the reason he did this is so that all the people of the earth, including us, may know the hand of the Lord is mighty and that we are to fear the Lord, our God, forever and ever and ever and ever. And he turned to them and he said, the reason I want you to build this monument, this moment in time, is because when your kids and your grandkids asked you Why is that standing there? You can tell them the story about how I brought you into the promised land, about how I fulfilled my promise, about how I once again performed a miracle on your behalf and parted these waters. And I want you to continue to pass that legacy of faith on forever and ever and ever and ever. Which then makes me pause and think, in all the years that I've been here at Shepherd's Gate, starting from 2004 when I was a single guy to getting married in 2008 to welcoming our first son in 2010 to welcoming our second son in 2013. And this is the only church that they have ever known. God, what is it the legacy of faith that you are asking us to pass on to our kids? What is it that you're asking us to pass on to the generations that come after us? Again, this isn't about buildings. This is about spiritual faith and legacy. As we think about the future, as we think about what it is that maybe God is calling us into in 2022. And again, this church wants to be a church that continues to pour into you, to equip you. That's our number one goal, is to equip and to train and to encourage and to launch you to be influencers in your homes and in your places of work and in your communities, and yes, in this church, that God would receive the glory and God would receive the praise and we wouldn't get tied down by the world or all of its problems, but we would see clearly where it is that God is leading us and knowing that one day we will see him face to face. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's my question for you this morning. What legacy of faith do you want to leave when your time here on earth comes to an end. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here in this room and those of us that are joining us online. God, we know that you're at work. And I thank you for the ways in which we can look back in our own personal lives and we can say, with confidence and boldness, God, you have never left us or forsaken us. And even when times got difficult, and even when there were times when we turned our back on you, you never turned your back on us. So God, once again this morning, thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, we also thank you for this church and all the phases and all the ways in which you have moved the hearts of people here. God, we thank you for all the pastors that have been part of this congregation. Pastor Dale, Pastor Bjorgard, Pastor Trinkline, the shoulders of which I get to stand on, the, the ways in which they influence this congregation. But God, we know that you have more in store for our future. So we pray it was your Holy Spirit that would light a fire in us, that the decisions that we made make will be the decisions that you want us to make because it's your power that's at work in our lives and that more and more people would come to the saving knowledge of you. God, we love you and we thank you. You are such an amazing, faithful, and gracious God.